This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong here with... Uh, Sam Peterson, representing Transitions Life Care. Sam, I lied to everyone last week. I said that Mary would be back, but uh, I didn't check the calendar and realize that Mary has this week off. She does. She does that. Lucky duck. We'll think of her while she is out at the beach. Yeah, yeah. I'm jealous, but that's okay. We'll do all the heavy lifting here on Aging Matters, and next week we'll make her do all the work because, you know, two weeks off of the show, okay. Yeah, who approved that? I I don't know. Certainly not me. We're just (laughs) kidding. We love Mary, and she's certainly uh, in need of some time of respite, so we look forward to having her back on the program next week, and we're also looking forward to having a discussion here about caregiving, as we often do on the program, and we're going to have a particular discussion on filling in the caregiving gaps. And to do that, we're pleased to welcome Amy Langerud. She's a RN geriatric care manager. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this topic today. You know, this is something I, I bump into a lot in my day-to-day work. Um, in this episode, we've been talking a lot about filling in the gaps of caregiving. So, In my day-to-day, I talk with a lot of families who are really struggling for caring for a loved one and finding resources. Um, Either placement in an assisted living or skilled nursing facility may not be an option for them financially, or they may not qualify for skilled care at home like home health services. So, Amy, what is the first step someone should take in this kind of scenario? I think the first step that people should really take is identifying what the options are. Looking at the resources and um, making a decision on, is this the direction to go in? That's the first question. Mm -hmm. Looking at the option, what type of care does this family want? What type of care do they need? How many hours? And what tasks do they really need help with? Because that's really, that really will determine the type of care and who provides the care. Mm -hmm whether they want it in the morning, whether they want it in the evening, all that goes into creating um, a schedule and the right fit of a caregiver who is in their home providing care. And there are some wonderful resources out there in the community. There are a directory of resources, and a lot of the information, I think, is word of mouth, people finding out who they have um, used, who other friends or family who they have used to provide this type of care and um, going on those recommendations. Definitely. I know, I know we've used some of that. We've talked about on the show before for my own grandmother who is receiving care at home right now. Um, and kind of actually stemming from that, you know, her situation, she had COVID back in November. Um, she's a tough little bird. She was 92, had COVID, was in the hospital for about five or six days um, and then discharged home and was doing good. But you know, from that uh, hospitalization, it definitely took a little bit out of her. She was a little weaker, and she did need a little more help at home. Um, 
And I really worked a lot with the hospital because their first um, instinct was to send her to a skilled nursing rehab. And for my family at the time, that was really not an option we wanted, um, given the current COVID environment. And also the only um, facility available to her was about two hours away from where my family was. So that was just not something we really wanted to delve in at that time. So we kind of had to make the decision, okay, we want to bring her home. And in my talking to a lot of families, um, given a lot of the recent visit restrictions a lot of nursing facilities have right now, a lot of more caregivers are choosing to bring their loved ones home instead. So, Amy, what are some things that people can do to make sure, first of all, that their loved one is safe at home? Um, So there are a couple things. Once people, I think once they make the decision to come home, they need to make sure that that environment is the safest environment possible. Because when you are in a facility, all those things are really taken care of for you that you don't even think about. But um, just making sure even there's adequate lighting or um, depending on the diagnosis, of course, that there aren't any maybe sharp objects around Mm -hmm. or the medicines are hidden. All the rugs are adhered to the floor to avoid falls or, you know, any hazards. All those things that you don't think about that somebody at home, again, depending on the diagnosis, could get into. But, um, you know, it's also making sure that there's care at home and that somebody is there, that they're they're not left alone. And um, some of that also is looking, again, it gets back to looking at what options. I think, um, you know, making sure that somebody is always with this person Mm -hmm. and avoiding falls. That's like the number one thing, absolutely avoiding falls, because if somebody does fall, then it's, you know, things often change pretty significantly from that. When somebody also is going home, I'm also a big advocate of having an OT, uh, occupational therapist or physical therapist really come home, come into the home and look at the home to make any suggestions. Do they need a grab bar? Are there any modifications to the shower? Um, just allowing accessibility. So mm-hmm. all those things, allowing somebody, you know, decluttering, all those things again that you might not think of, but allowing that person to um, be cared for at home. Yeah, definitely. I know we, we did that too as well for uh, my grandmother when she returned home. We really kind of had to take a deeper look into, okay, you know, you're home with a rollator now and it's a little tougher for you to move around and you're not moving as quickly as you did before. So what are some things we can do here to make this a little bit of a safer environment for you since we do want to keep you at home? And since a lot of there, people... There are also... Oh, go, um, go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I just want to say there are home safety checklists online. Like I know the Alzheimer's Association has a great one, very thorough. So that's that could really be kind of a checklist for people who are um, choosing to care for their loved ones at home. Mm, definitely a good resource for folks to check out. And since a lot of people right now are choosing in-home care, are there different levels of that type of care? There are, and that really has to be considered because the cost of the care is different. Depending on what their loved one needs, there are personal care options, companion care, or maybe somebody just wants someone to sit with their family member. Mm-hmm. And those, those, um, the cost of that varies slightly, but it, it, there is a difference in the level of care, whether somebody needs more, um, you know, more skilled care. So, and the other, you know, thing is that this type of care also is considered custodial most of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's all 
usually provided by a non-medical provider or agency, whatever, whatever um, and we can talk about that, whatever resource you use mm-hmm. to provide the care. But it's, um, it's really helping with their bathing, dressing, eating, and getting in and out of bed. All that also is something, you know, that is not typically covered by Medicare mm-hmm. also. So, but they're um, the, still the type of care that they need, whether it be somebody to help with assisting them with toileting or um, showering, might cost a little bit more than having someone just sit with someone for safety. Mm-hmm. So it's it's yeah, we need to be clear on what they need. Yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, kind of assessing your needs first is a is a big help in that. Um, I know I have a lot. And of, the agency, go ahead. No, the agencies will do that also. When somebody identifies with an agency, they'll have somebody come out. It's typically a nurse that will come out and meet with the family and do a complete assessment to just together as a team to decide what their needs are, and the nurse often makes their recommendations. Definitely. Um, And I know I have a lot of people ask me, or sometimes they'll even call us at Transitions, and after talking to them for a little while, I'll kind of find out, okay, it sounds like you're looking for more of like a private duty or a PCA, a personal care assistant, we call them, uh, type service. Mm -hmm. So can you, I know you've talked about some that they can help um, with some of the daily assistance things, but can you talk with us a little bit about what they are and what they are not. How can they help you in providing care for a loved one at home? How can a, a personal care assistant? Mm-hmm. That, okay. Yeah, so some of the things that they can do, which are really important when somebody is at home, assistance with meal, meal prep, medication reminders, running errands, transportation to doctor's appointments is a big one, even acting as a scribe for when these um family, you know, these family members go to appointments, even light housekeeping or taking them to church, whatever is really important with them. That would be more of um, like a a companion. But personal care is more hands-on, cleaning them up for personal care, cleaning them up in the bathroom, changing the pens, um, helping them get dressed, helping them with actually eating, so it's um, it's a little personal care is a little bit more hands on mm-hmm. versus more of the companion sitting and and care like that. We're speaking with Amy Langerud. She is a RN geriatric care manager with Preferred Living Solutions, and we're going to continue our conversation all about filling in the caregiving gaps right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, you can do that online anytime at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson. Our guest on the line is Amy Langerud. She is a RN and geriatric care manager with Preferred Living Solutions, and we're having a conversation about 
filling in the caregiving gaps and uh, as if caregiving wasn't challenging enough, <laughs> but there's there's always those items that we we often don't think about, or you know sometimes we're in a crisis mode and you know we're, we're trying to do things the best we can as quickly as we can, and there's there's always something where we're not really able to sit down and plan things out, mm-hmm. but with with enough vision we can do that, and that's why we've got Amy here to help guide us along the way. Yes, and Amy, we're so grateful to have you here. Um, in our last segment, we were just talking, delving into a little bit about private duty aides or personal care assistance. Um, and I know that for a lot of people, the cost of that can really be a barrier. Um, are there other options out there for people to maybe consider? There are other options. Um, and I, I do want to just say one thing that often this care is paid privately. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is covered under their long-term care benefits. Sometimes we're finding that some of the managed care HMOs do have coverage for some of this care oh. that's just considered kind of uh, ADL, non, you know, custodial, mm-hmm. non-skilled. And sometimes there are VA, VA benefits. But um, the other thing that I also tell families, you really have to get creative uh, when you're looking at keeping somebody at home. And that might mean having families supplement the care. So maybe you have somebody come in in the morning for a couple hours in the middle of the day in the evening, but in those gaps, somebody's there from the family. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, some some relative, whatever that looks like, or friends, or, you know, looking into the community, looking at resources. There are resources out there. There are volunteer agencies just to make friendly visits through their church. So it's, or there's adult day programs, I mean, that the, that the, person can go into during the day. So there are different options. But again, it's getting it's getting creative. And it's important at the same time to keep that person engaged at home. Just because they're home, there can be a lot less stimulation that's in the in a facility. So mm-hmm. keeping them involved, not just sitting them in front of the TV. And one of the, you know, couple ways that people look at people have, so it's either through agency that you're getting care or care.com. Some people have had great success on the next door app. Mm-hmm. which we all have in our neighborhood. So, and they're all, you know, you want to make sure that everyone, you get a background check. And for the agency, one of the reasons that I like agency, I'm actually in a situation where my mom is at home mm-hmm. with 24-hour care. And we actually prefer the agency. It's just a personal preference, whatever people want, because we know that if one of the shifts can't make it, if somebody calls in, we are guaranteed backup. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, definitely comforting. So if we have an 11 to 7, everybody lives, well, I live eight hours away, but everybody else lives an hour away. We've got a real problem, you know, 10 o'clock if somebody calls in. So, um, but all of them, you know, I think that's the one thing people have to think about when they're hiring someone privately is payroll, tax forms. um, Are they bonded? And a lot of that can be taken care of on care.com. When people hire privately, you still are able to do some of that. You can run your own background check and do some of that, but you just have to be careful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it also, again, is done by word of mouth. Some people might know someone. My twin sister works in a hospital, so she tends to see different people around. And we've had, this has been going on years, we've had a gamut of people in the home. But Mm -hmm. it's, you know, um, somebody that you feel safe with and someone that's a good fit with your family member at home. And, that, you know, that's really kind of another important piece that it's it's very invasive to be in someone's home. That's yeah. their home. That's it's, um, in the privacy of their home. You have someone 
who you don't know. It's a very personal experience. You really want to make sure that it's a good fit on both ends for the caregiver and the client. Yeah, that is so true. I know that was one of our concerns with my grandmother, too. And and I've talked to you about on the show before about how we have kind of had to piecemeal some uh, care for her because currently um, with her situation, hiring an agency was very cost prohibitive for us as a family. So Mm -hmm. we did, like you mentioned, do some of those other resources around the community. Um, She's very involved with her church community. So we were able to kind of lean on them a little bit and ask around and get some people in town. Um, And kind of the big uh, laugh we have right now is actually her very sweet hairdresser has offered to come and (laughs) and help her out. So I think that's a great twofer. She gets her weekly hairdo done and she's also been a great help in helping her with picking up groceries, taking her to appointments, things like that. So, yeah. you know, it's such a great point you mentioned to, to really check some of those other resources you may not think of, like next door. Um, I know I'm part of a few Facebook groups even um, for caregivers who, you know, I see a great community on there. They'll go and post and say, hey, I'm looking for this or I need this for my mom or dad or whomever. And people can just kind of chime in and bring resources. But um, that is a good point yeah, because I have brought that up with my family before you know okay if so if her caregiver for the day can't make it what what's our backup we don't have a backup so that is a good a thing mm-hmm. to consider too when you're looking at maybe hiring an agency um, and I know you said you've gone through using an agency yourself and um, caregiving for your family member are there any tips that you would want to share with how you should go about finding the right agency for you that actually is, has been really challenging, especially mm-hmm. with COVID. Yes. So what, I mean, we all know we're in a caregiver shortage, and I suspect we'll see some changes with the vaccine mandate. Mm-hmm. We have had caregivers who are refusing to vaccinate or get tested, so that will eliminate some from the pool. But, you know, it's just um, it's constantly watching the situation. And even though initially I think you might find a, the greatest caregiver so you think. In time, I think people get comfortable. So it's, I'm also an advocate of doing kind of random unplanned checks where mm-hmm. you just stop in, look at the house, you know, does it, does it look tidy? Does it look like it, you know, is the meal prep adequate or are they just throwing something together? Are they on their phone? So um, it's really, it's hard to say just, you know, sometimes agencies are very reputable. I've, I have had this in with clients and I'll arrange for a caregiver and it does not work out. Mm-hmm. So it's really specific to the caregiver, but you can't give up because there definitely are diamonds in the rough. Absolutely. So you could have just the, the worst experience, but then the next caregiver that comes is just this incredible, beautiful fit with, with your loved one. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's finding an agency. Often they have different requirements. Some would have three hour minimum, some have four hour requirements. So it just, it really depends. And right now I have had agencies say to me, you'll need to look at another agency. Mm. And so we, you know, you just kind of bounce around till you find somebody who um, is available as a personally, we've had to use quite a few different agencies to provide coverage. And we do a blend. We have somebody hired privately, somebody hired through the agency, um, and somebody through care.com and we've, we've kind of rotated and it waxes and wanes. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. So yeah. it's finding the best situation that you can, but there's no magic pill, you know, there's no <laughs> magic wand for the greatest caregiving situation. And 
you know, um, you just have to, it's, there's a lot of luck and, and just circumstance. And they're constantly bringing on new caregivers into the situation, which is nice. Yeah, that is great. And it's such a good idea to kind of piece a whole bunch of different options together there. Uh, so, Amy, are there yeah, any last resources that you would want to share? I know you mentioned some directories that are available, but any resources that um, our listeners should check out? Um, I think uh, the resource directory in uh, particular that I mentioned was it's resources for seniors. And that is like my care management Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's wonderful. And, um, and even if not only does the book provide information, you could call up the number in the book, and they're online, obviously, and um, ask any question you want. I've asked them both on a personal level for my mom and as a care manager. Um, I think, again, the whole, uh, depending on the diagnosis, Alzheimer's Association, and I, I'm saying this, again, personally and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, as a care manager, Alzheimer's Association has been fantastic, fantastic. There's lots of suggestions there, um, Dementia Alliance, there's support for people. The last thing that I do want to say also is just even uh, looking at, um, it's more for facilities, but Medicare.gov is wonderful mm-hmm. for information. And then also um, Department of um, HHS, HHS.gov, North Carolina. North Carolina Department of HH, HHS.gov, a little tongue twister there. <laughs> and um, they're, also, they're also great for resources, though. And, they're, you know, it's out there. People are willing to help. And just finding someone to help you navigate through all the complexities because it's, it's challenging. It, it really is challenging. And um, it's, sometimes it takes a lot of time and effort to get the answers that you want. But... Um, it's just, you know, they need someone, someone, even it could be a, a family member to advocate for them and help identify what their goals are, and then someone to tie it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is wonderful advice. That is the voice of Amy Langerud, and she is a RN and geriatric care manager with Preferred Living Solutions. Amy, if folks want to find more information about you, is preferredlivingsolutions.com the best place to do that? Yes. Perfect. Yes, they can read a little bit about all the care managers and our contact information, email and phone numbers with both offices in Wake Forest and Clayton are there. Excellent. PreferredLivingSolutions.com. Amy, thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. We are taking a short break, but we'll be right back. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson. Sam, we are going to now direct our focus on 
palliative care, and I think this is so important because uh, while you know, you certainly know a whole lot about this subject. <laughs> a and little bit, yeah. <laughs> maybe those who have listened to this show often may know a bit about this subject. But in, in terms of the, the mainstream discourse, I don't think palliative care gets uh, a whole lot of spotlight. But that's going to change for the next 20 minutes here as we are happy to speak with Lily Gilmore. Lily is the Associate Vice President of Palliative Care at Transitions Life Care. Lily, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I am so excited to talk more about palliative care. Some could say I'm a little bit of a palliative care preacher (laughs) when I'm out there talking about our services because it's just, it's something that a lot of people don't know about and it has so many benefits that we're going to talk about today. Um, And Jason, like you mentioned, we've talked about it a little bit. We've name dropped it a few times on the show here before, but I really want to do a deeper dive into it and how it can help people fill in some gaps when they're providing care for a loved one. So Lily, let's just start with some basics. What does the word palliative mean? Yeah, so the word palliative actually comes from the word palliate, which truly just means to ease symptoms without curing the underlying disease. So it's really focused on that symptom management instead of trying to cure the disease. Mm-hmm. A little a little Latin lesson there, which I took Latin exactly. in eighth grade, <laughs> and it was a disaster. So um, <laughs> great to get those definitions out there. And I think a lot of times we hear the word palliative, and it's being used in the same frame as the word hospice. And when I'm talking with families, there's a lot of confusion around the two. So can you talk to us about some of the differences between palliative care and hospice? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the easiest things I try to get people to think about when thinking about the difference is that if you think of palliative care kind of as a giant bubble, hospice is a small part inside that bubble. So there's definitely overlap. They're both treating symptoms. They're both really focusing on patients' quality of life and goals of care. But hospice is a very focus-specific part of palliative care. So when we're talking about hospice, There's a defined period of time, so a physician has certified that a patient has a life expectancy of six months or less, so it's really meant to focus on that true end of life that a patient Mm -hmm. is experiencing. It's also a hospice benefit, excuse me, an insurance benefit, so it's a very clear kind of instruction on this is what you can have. A hospice is responsible for medication, supplies, equipment. Um, It's a higher intensity of care, so Mm -hmm. there's nurses and social workers, chaplains that go in the home. Mm -hmm. regularly to care for that patient. And palliative care, if you kind of pull the lens back to a much wider view, um, still focusing on the symptom management, still focusing on the quality of care for patients and their goals of care and kind of what they're looking for, but you don't have the same time frames. You don't have the very focused, this is what hospice is, this is what palliative is. Um, But really, I think the other big thing that separates them out is the treatment. So again, we get to palliative care focusing on the symptoms without curing the disease. And hospice also is not trying to cure the disease. But when someone's on hospice, they also are no longer receiving treatments for Mm -hmm. their disease. Um, You know, a good example I think that's easy to kind of follow is a patient who has cancer. Mm -hmm. And they may have been getting chemotherapy for a while to treat that cancer and try to cure the cancer. And at some point, that no longer works for them. And that's where the physician says, you know, 
that does not matter if you get this chemo or not, this cancer is going to be a life-limiting illness, and they stop that treatment. And for hospice, you do have to stop it. For palliative care, we kind of hope that someone starts that way back in the journey, much further upstream. Uh, ideally, when someone's first diagnosed with a life-limiting illness, is a great time to have palliative care because it runs concurrently with whatever other treatments people are getting. So there's no, you don't have to stop any medications, you don't have to stop any treatments. Um, a lot of times we actually are providing symptom relief for some of those treatments because mm -hmm. they also have some pretty nasty side effects. So it's really nice to have that kind of going along with the disease, going along with the symptoms, and you don't have to give anything up for palliative care. Yeah, that's something I talk with families a lot, especially like you mentioned, you know, patients who are receiving therapy and treatment for cancer that I have really seen and heard it do some great things for help of, of their symptoms and symptom management. And yeah. one thing I always like to tell families too, which I think can be about as clear as mud sometimes, but that hospice is palliative in its nature of care, but not all palliative care is hospice. So there's your exactly. Confucius for the day. Exactly. <laughs> So, Lily, when would you recommend someone seek palliative care out over hospice? Ideally, you know, the, the again, the beauty of palliative care would be early on in a disease process. So um, when they're still seeking out kind of that treatment, when they're still trying to decide what's it going to look like, I think, you know, there's that moment where someone's diagnosed with a life-limiting illness, and it's very overwhelming, and there's a lot of decisions that are going to need to be made. Um, and at that point, someone's not eligible for hospice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, if they still want to try these new treatments, and they still want to make sure that they're, you know, they have curative therapies, et cetera, then palliative care really fits better in that, in that time frame for one, for them. Um, and the other thing that, you know, I, it's really important to me to emphasize to people is that palliative care and hospice care you know, when people are talking about it, it's not, there's no goal, there's no, this is what we want you to do. And some, you know, there's definitely a focus on stopping treatments, not going to hospital, having more time at home. But for some people, that that's really not what they want to do. And if someone says, you know what, I want to keep getting treatments, and I really want to go to a hospital, mm -hmm. and I want to have end of life in a hospital, that's totally fine. It just means hospice wouldn't be appropriate, but palliative care still really would be. Because palliative care, again, can continue to walk that journey with the patient and make sure that they're getting those goals, you know, stated that they're advocating for that patient and that patient has the opportunity to make their wishes known. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned too, and I think a lot of people always, this is their first thought of the, the kind of patients or diagnoses that we see for palliative care in hospice, um, you know, for palliative care, cancer is usually the first to top of mind, but I don't think that's really yeah. necessarily the case, you know, I know for us as an organization. So Lily, what kind of patients or diagnoses can benefit most from palliative care services? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I think, you know, cancer is sort of mm -hmm. synonymous when we talk about palliative and hospice care. And part of that is because that was sort of the origins, you know, when it started, it was really focused on that. But now, um, really a lot more, I think one of the most important diagnoses palliative care can help is heart failure. Um, really kind of these end stage organ failures. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at heart failure, liver failure, kidney failure, um, you know, COPD, looking at the lungs, you know, kind of as they're having difficulty. All of these have these peaks and these ebbs and flow of crises. So people will have symptoms that sort of get exacerbated and they may need to go to the hospital and have fluid taken off or a medication adjusted. Um, and there's a lot of hospitalizations back and forth, a mm -hmm. lot of coordination required with their doctors. And this is where palliative care can really be helpful to both, again, establish what do they want this to look like? You know, how, how many times 
Are they okay going back to the hospital? Do they want to try things at home before they go to the hospital? Mm -hmm. Working with their um, team. There's a lot of that kind of coordination of care palliative care can do. So a nurse practitioner or physician can reach out to that cardiologist or pulmonologist and say, okay, so this is what we're seeing in the home, kind of what's the plan, and we can actually get some things in place to manage some of those symptoms at home so that a patient doesn't have to bounce back and forth between all these places and hopefully it has better symptom management at home. Mm-hmm. And that's something I tout a lot for palliative care, um, especially with our CHF and COPD patients because like you mentioned, we know a lot of times they're bouncing in and out of the hospital um, and there's really some things that we can do to help prevent some of those frequent rehospitalizations with palliative care in place. Exactly. And I know that, you know, fortunately, a lot of hospitals in our area um, have great inpatient palliative care programs that they offer. Um, but there are some agencies like us at Transitions that do offer palliative care in an outpatient setting, which is still, I think, a relatively new concept for a lot of people. So can you talk with us about what that looks like in the outpatient setting? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm definitely biased. We we have an inpatient team, and I love our inpatient team, and inpatient teams are so crucial for mm-hmm. the work they're doing in hospitals. But I really love the outpatient setting, too. <laughs> and part of what I really like about it is the fact that, in general, and definitely not always, when you're asked to come to someone's home, they're not in an acute, life-threatening crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, in the hospital, a lot of patients we see are having an acute, life-threatening crisis, and families are being asked to make decisions in a very difficult time, it's hard to make decisions. And when you're at home in the community and able to really sit and talk with someone in their home, not in the middle of a crisis, you're able to really get to more focus on what are their goals, what do they want their life to look like. And I think that's something that's so crucial when we say quality of life, we throw terms around a lot. People hear that. And mm-hmm. when you really try to define well, what is quality of life, and it's different for every person. So what makes my life good to me is going to look very different than what life looks to you um, or someone else. And so being able to see a person in an environment and really talk to them about their life and talk to them about what matters and what does it look like? At what point do they say, you know what, if I'm not able to garden, then that means I'm done because that's my quality of life marker. Mm -hmm. And it's just easier to do that in the community and to be able to see what's going on. If we have interventions we're recommending, but they're don't have resources in their home, it's really hard for them to do that. And again, we talk about that coordination with other specialists is if they say, well, gosh, I've asked this patient to do X, Y, Z, and we can say, well, you know, we're in the home and that's not possible. So how can we, how can we change this plan so it still works and fits into what they're doing? Yeah, it's uh, a, a different way of looking at things, and it's a way that, you know, would certainly help a lot of people as well. We're going to continue our conversation with Lily Gilmore. Lily is the Associate Vice President of Palliative Care at Transitions Life Care, and we'll have more with Lily right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson. Our guest on the line is Lily Gilmore. Lily is the Associate Vice President of Palliative Care at Transitions Life Care. And 
that's what we're having a discussion about, all about palliative care. And Sam, we've had a, a wonderful discussion so far, kind of introducing the concept of palliative mm-hmm. care and uh, the when it needs to be considered. Uh, but I, I've got a question for Lily, if if that's okay. Yeah, I go don't for mean it. to butt in here, but Lily, we kind of talked about when palliative care is appropriate, but how do you start that conversation? You know, I know if I uh, need to see my doctor, you know, I'll log into my chart or something and I'll, I'll set an appointment there. But if, if palliative care is on our minds, so either for ourselves or for a loved one that we're caring for, wh- where do we start? Who, who should we have that conversation with? That's a great question. Um, if it's, you know, if it's yourself or your family, we do recommend reaching out to your primary care provider and just saying, Hey, this is something that I'm interested in, I've heard about, um, and they can send a referral in or they can speak with um, different, you know, different providers, speak with you, speak with family, um, or people can just call and speak to transitions. You can call and say, hi, I want to learn more about palliative care. Patients do have to have a primary care provider to be seen um, palliative care, but they can call in. They don't have to have an order. So again, we do recommend speaking with your primary care provider because they know the most about your health and about kind of what's going on and want to keep them in the loop. But for sure, people can just reach out if they want to learn more or have someone come out and talk with them about it. Mm-hmm. And that's I'm so glad you mentioned that, that you don't have to have an order for palliative care because I think that's something a lot of people don't realize um, is that you can self-refer yourself to palliative care services. It's just one of the awesome yep. things about it. Um, and definitely getting your primary care provider on board and their insight is, is super helpful to them and also to the providers in the home too that are providing palliative care, which was one of the last questions I kind of wanted to ask about sort of our basic sex- section on palliative care is who all is in not that palliative care team when they're seeing you in the home? Sure. Yeah. So we, um, it can be a variety of different people depending on what the need is. So that's one of the other nice things about palliative care is it's very tailored to the individual person. Um, So a typical palliative care consult would be a nurse practitioner or a physician who comes out to the home or we can do it virtually in the new (laughs) COVID days. We can do either (laughs) one. Um, but they come out and they really assess what's going on. We have some specialty programs. Again, as I talked about heart failure, we have a specific heart failure, um, which our mm-hmm. palliative care nurse practitioners and physicians can be involved with, but that's really primarily nurse driven. So that patient would have a nurse who would visit every week. Um, we have social workers and we have a chaplain. So the, the first visit is when we really assess kind of what would be helpful for this patient or family and then go back and say, hey, you know what, I think it'd be helpful for this person to come in and help. And we have all these different resources that we can bring in depending on what the need is. Mm -hmm. I know adding in the the social work aspect of it, too, has been a really huge help for a lot of patients and families, too. So we've kind of dove dove into the basics of palliative care, what it is from a clinical standpoint. But I want to talk about how it can help fill in some of those caregiving gaps we've been talking about this episode. Uh, You know, I talk to so many families and caregivers who need additional support when they're caring for their loved one, especially in a home setting. And they're just totally overwhelmed. You know, they're getting information overload um, with new diagnoses or things. So Lily, talk with us about how palliative care can help navigate a really complicated medical system, let's face it, it's complicated, or news of a new diagnosis maybe. Yeah. So again, I think one of the nice things is, and I always encourage, you know, I'm talking to people when they ask, what does it look like when someone comes out? Because also that's hard sometimes when people have these new diagnoses and they may have 
27 different people that are calling them every day, Mm -hmm. or they may have three different services that are coming to their house. Is it palliative care is the one that comes in and kind of says, hi, how are you today? And what can I do? So Mm -hmm. there's not a targeted, I have to cover X, Y, and Z on my visit. It is, let me help figure out where are you? So where are you in this diagnosis? Where are you in this new sea of confusion? Mm -hmm. And what would be most helpful? And really helping focus people on, you know, things that we find might be helpful or listening if they say, I just need to figure out all the appointments. Then Mm -hmm. we're here to say, okay, so let's do that. So it's really that focus on the person and the family and less on the disease. So usually, you know, if you have a new diagnosis of heart failure or cancer, everything is about that heart failure or that cancer. And palliative care is really there to say, okay, but you, patient, and you, family, are such an important piece of this. And how can we focus on you? And how can we make sure that your wishes and your voice is heard? Um, And part of that, again, getting back to the coordination of care, being able to say, I hear you saying there are four providers now Mm -hmm. involved in the care and who's prescribing what and who's recommending what. And that palliative care provider can really offer that centering person to say, okay, let me talk to the providers and let me look at all these different pieces. Um, So we can answer questions. We can coordinate care. Again, if there are new symptoms, we can kind of talk about that as well. So it's really just a time to focus on the person and bring it back to what matters to them right then and how can we help. Yeah, it really is. And it's something, you know, I talk a lot about my grandmother on this show, and I have been this episode. It's She lives in Maryland, and it's something that I wish so badly her area had outpatient mm-hmm. palliative care services because she is a perfect patient. Um, she has some COPD going on. She's bouncing in and out of the hospitals a lot. They probably have a red flag on her chart. Um, <laughs> but she really needs someone so badly to help her in coordination of the care because, you know, she's getting info from her doctor from her hospitals and it's just you know a big jumbled mess so having that palliative care provider that can come in and help you kind of sort through some of that is so helpful yeah so you talked a little bit about how someone can receive palliative care and curative treatments too, like um, chemotherapies, radiation. I know dialysis too is another big one for folks. Um, but yeah. can someone also receive palliative care services with other services like, say, home health or they're getting private duty nursing, which we've talked about a little bit on the show? Um, how, If so, how do they work with those other services? Yeah, absolutely. And that's you know, again, as you were saying at the beginning of this, of how people don't know as much, and such a great <laughs> gem because, yes, you can have palliative care with all the things. Um, the easiest way I really describe it to people is it's just it's an additional add-on. So it doesn't change anything. It's not coming in to replace anything. It's really there to say, hey, we are adding this extra benefit for you and this extra support for you. Um, and we really work with other agencies in the home. So if a patient has home health or they have private duty nursing, then we communicate with those people as well. We're always happy to share you know, care plans if families want us to do that, but really communicate with them to make sure everyone's on the same page and to understand what each person is doing. Yeah, it's so helpful to kind of tie all those pieces together. And I'm, I'm always encouraging people, you know, if they're receiving other services that really just stack them on, add palliative care on there. I mean, you know, the, the more help you can get is, is, is so huge um, for families trying to, to keep and care for someone at home. So that being said, is palliative care, is it covered by most insurances? What, what does the payment for that look like? 
Yeah, it is. So palliative care is considered a consult service. So similar to a cardiologist, pulmonologist, oncologist, um, it's paid per visit for a nurse practitioner or a physician. And usually patients, if they do have any payment, it's a copay. Um, and they can check with their insurance to determine. We generally will, we run their insurance to let them know if they're in network or out of network and what a copay may be. We also never refuse care due to an inability to pay. So that's something really near and dear at transition is that we will care for anyone regardless of ability to pay. Um, but it is on that kind of visit basis. It's not an ongoing fee. It's just on that visit. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, recently I've seen that a lot more private insurances are starting to recognize the benefit of palliative care yeah. and, and covering that as part of their insurance plan. So that's I'm glad to see it. They are. It's great. <laughs> Uh, so how long can people receive palliative care for? You know, we know with hospice, it's usually a six-month benefit or, you know, longer if someone ex- extends that estimation. Um, and with home health, you know, your insurance only approves so many days of care. Is that kind of the case with palliative care too? No. So palliative care, there's really no strict, you have to do this many visits or they have to, you have to stop being seen after a certain amount of time. Um, it's really individual. So we have some patients who may only have one or two visits. Um, they may just have a very focused need that we're able to address, um, or they may have something that's more ongoing. So if they, again, have a more complicated symptom management plan and we're making recommendations to their physicians, we may be seeing them once every couple of months for a year. Um, it really depends kind of what the need is, but there are no requirements. And it's something we discuss with each patient or family of kind of after that first visit, this is what we think it'll look like. Um, And the other nice thing is there's no limit to how many times you can see palliative care. So if someone saw palliative care and then didn't need them for a year or two and then does need them, they just call back and we go back out. There's no issue of you've used your benefit up or anything like that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a wonderful thing that exists and is out there for people. And another thing I tell a lot of families too, is that, you know, if you choose to stay on palliative care for forever and you don't want to necessarily transition to hospice, that's okay too. I know we serve a lot of patients who just stay with us on palliative care um, until end of life comes for them. So, and they're still getting some of those supports too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, a wonderful service. And if you want to learn more, you can go to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Uh, the first option there on the main menu is patients. And if you hover over that, palliative care is the first line that you'll see. And you can find so much information on that website as well as contact information as well, transitionslifecare.org. Lily Gilmore, Associate Vice President of Palliative Care at Transitions Life Care. Thank you so much for your time today, and this was a wonderful discussion. You know, having you and Sam go back and forth on this, you know, it's it's uh, two pros. I'm going to quiz you later, Jason. There'll be a test. (laughs) Oh, boy. Good thing we're almost out of time here. Lily, thank you so much for your time. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Well, we are, again, just about out of time here on the show today. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with a friend, be sure to go to WPTF.com, click on Podcasts, and there you'll find Aging Matters, and you can find this episode as well as all of our previous episodes as well. On behalf of Sam Peterson, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM. 
AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.